No one has more light and less darkness than anyone else. Everyone has an equal amount of light and equal amount of darkness. What determines how dark people act or how light they act and what they do is more a function of how much they recognize that darkness exists and how much they either accept or reject it altogether. And the the key common denominator of narcissism is a very simple thing to see. It's an inability to apologize. So that's kind of the, the thing I would say is this whole thing is about finding the journey of the self in a simulation of our own creation. There's no one else to blame. There's only us. And once we finally realize that there's nobody to blame, including yourself, then you've arrived. All right, everyone. I have been waiting. I, I got to tell you, I've been waiting two, three months to have this conversation with Robert Edward Grant, mathematician, polymath, entrepreneur, explorer. You don't even know what we're about to get into. When I talk about ancient wisdom, I talk about kind of what I know. We got, we got a, a, a well of ancient wisdom and the connection between that and modern science. Very important for us to understand how we connected to nature, how we connected to ancient civilizations. This is a conversation like you never heard on Heal Thyself. And what a gift, what a gift to have my guy, Robert Edward Grant, or Robert Grant, however we want to call you. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show, my brother. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, man. Whoa. Like, we were off air. And you, mm-hmm. I, I just came from Egypt in November. Uh-huh. I was in this king's chamber. I thought I got the full downloads. I thought I experienced it. And then you're showing me this app that you develop. And we were in the king's chamber in my co- podcast room virtually showing me all of these beautiful etchings on the wall. What's the name of this app? It's called Maya. It's not available yet. It's, a, it's, a, it's in uh, alpha, but it's going to be integrated into our app Orion, which is a, uh, a social media app, because you can actually play this as a social media game as well. And it's mind-blowing. It's the first spiritual life simulation game. It's incredible, man. And I, I felt like I was back in Egypt. But this the real walls. It's like the real thing. Yeah. We took the LiDAR scans and everything. We're actually imaging all of the pyramids. And it's all part of this game of ascension and how you experience higher order levels of consciousness. All right. So when we think about how deeply connected we are to ancient civilizations, ancient wisdom. I know that you've been through so much, seeing so much, have connected so much. Why is it important for us to understand where we came from and where we're going? I think, at least for me, I can't speak for everybody why it's so important to me, but I feel like it's important to know where I've been to understand where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and these are these are existential type questions about who we are yeah. as a species, and and you know it seems kind of broad to try to understand who we are as a species in order to understand myself better. But actually, you know, it was Socrates who said that we should all know ourselves, you know, know thyself. And it sounds like two easy words, but actually, it's the most difficult thing we'll ever ever do. Oh, yeah. And so I think that having the context of historical reference and what we've done and where we've been is an critical aspect of being able to understand who we are today and, you know, peeling back the onion layers of this encryption that we call the self. Mm-hmm. And and by connecting that and knowing ourselves better, you're saying we're able to understand the nature of reality. Yeah. So by connecting that, you can understand the nature of reality and how and why we created it. You know, a lot of us think that we are here just as actors on some stage, right? And we don't understand 
why we're here. And it seems awfully capricious sometimes. You know, life can be full of suffering and difficulty and duality, and it can be dense and heavy. But actually, if we change our perspective and have the context that we're in a game of our own creation and that this game is here for our highest benefit so that we can learn who we are and realize why we decided to do this and also come to the knowledge that the one divides itself into the many simply for the joy of seeing itself through our individual eyes of perspectives. Mm. It changes everything because then you realize there's no mistakes. Everything that happens is just a learning, and each of us exists so that we can provide more information and data to the Akashic field so that the one universal, one creator can become more wise Mm -hmm. and have more and more empathy for all of the circumstances that can arise. And if you think about that, that's incredibly beautiful, that the one realized that the only way to become more wise is to experience empathy, because the only thing that's real is what we feel. And what is it that determines what we feel? It's the input of all the stimulus that we have that comes into us. And it's not necessarily what happened to us that happens to us. It's what we believe happened to us that we then react to. We have emotional states for. So those emotional states and combined with our unique eyes of perspective mean that every single person on planet Earth is experiencing an entirely different universe because we don't experience the universe as it truly is. We we experience it as we are. We can't remove our lens of bias and conditioning biases and the way we view the world from our experience with the world. So all of this seeks to perform and bring more knowledge to the one to be able to know himself or herself better. It's a beautiful perspective because it sort of starts taking away that victimization piece. Right? Yeah. We're mm-hmm. in this experience and with our own lens, but understanding we're forever connected to, to source mm-hmm. and source experiencing itself through us. Um, what a beautiful like dance that we're living in. It reminds me of this Chinese proverb that goes like this, you know, the man who blames others has a long way to go in his journey. The man who blames himself is halfway there. Mm-hmm. And the man who blames no one has already arrived. Mm-hmm. Blame is just a consequence immediately of shame. The first thing that we want to do whenever we feel shame is distance ourselves from it. That creates separation. So all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when God goes to Adam and says, Adam, where art thou? And Adam says, uh, I was hiding. Well, why were you hiding? Because I was naked. Well, why were you naked? Who told you you were naked? Uh, the woman that thou gavest me and commanded that I should remain with her, she gave me the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and I ate. Instead of saying, I ate the knowledge of the tree of knowledge of good of evil, good and evil, he says, the woman that you gave me, you know, that bitch, she basically, you know, sold me down the river, gave me this fruit, made me eat it. And then he goes to Eve, he says, Eve, what hast thou done? And the first thing she says, uh, uh, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. The first thing we want to do is blame somebody else. But when we actually go down this path of true awakening, we realize that you're not just an actor, you're the playwright. You chose it all. Mm-hmm. Each and every one of us chose every single circumstance down to the highest degree of detail imaginable. And then you realize that what we have called destiny is just the free will of our higher selves. Mm-hmm. And that's where the free will actually applies. We're looking at it at a, in a perspective that is limited. You know, how often have you had a circumstance where 
you had a bad situation happen and you said, oh, this was terrible. So-and-so did this to me. This was bad because they took advantage of this or whatever. And then later on, you look back at it and you said, you know, in retrospect, that was not the worst situation I could have ever had. In fact, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And then you've just transmuted lead of negative experience into gold of divine expression. Mm-hmm. Well, it, and how many people have that perspective to do that? Because there's a lot of us that are in that tornado, easily blaming others, easily not being able to see. Maybe there's a gift here. Maybe this is supposed to be unfolding in a certain way. And, and being in that energy keeps us there over and over in this yeah. repetitive cycle of, like you said, shame and blame. Well, I mean, what we judge ends up getting manifested. Yeah. So we'll attract everything we judge until we no longer judge everything we attracted. You heard me talk about Birch before. It's one of our longest sponsors. And they're still one of our longest sponsors because I love Birch. They make some of the best mattresses out there with organic, natural materials. They're crafted with the best out there, sustainably sourced. And it's important for you to have a healthy mattress in your home. We don't think about it. We don't think about the bed that we sleep on for five, six, seven years, for six, seven, eight hours a night, hopefully more than seven, right? Eight, even nine hours a night, we're being exposed to all these harmful off-gassing chemicals and they happen for the life of the bed. And fiberglass is one of the nastiest ones because it's utilized as a flame retardant. We're breathing in this fiberglass from these polyurethane foam. You have a Tempur-Pedic out there, right? Those really comfortable ones with no springs, those foam mattresses, that's polyurethane. And you're being exposed to this chemical that not only affects your nervous system, but your hormones. Not only your brain, but your immune system. I've had my Birch mattress for three years now. I sleep on it like a king. Uh, It holds me like I'm sleeping on a cloud. Uh, It's mold and mildew resistant. When you open it up, it doesn't have any chemically smell, right? Which is a a lot of us experience that when we we used to get those rolled up beds in college. And with your Birch mattress, you get a 100 night sleep trial along with a 25 year warranty. The best thing about Birch is it delivers your mattress right to your door free within the United States. They also offer in-home setup and removal to make your buying experience as convenient as possible. I love my Birch mattress. I think you will too. If you're looking for a new bed, check out birchliving.com. Thank you, Birch, for sponsoring. The President's Day sale is running now and you can get 25% off of your purchase with limited time. Go to birchliving.com slash heal thyself to get 25% off. Let me ask you, you mentioned free will. Do we come into this world where everything is painted for us? Like, a, like It's like a video game stage. But are we choosing to either go up or down or left or right? Or is that already in, written in, in, in so many words? Well, we all can understand how the past and the present determine the future. But can we also understand that in order for that to be the case, that the future must also be determined by the, not, not only from the past, but the future must also determine the past. Mm-hmm. So the past then must also be determined by the present and the future state. It's all retrocausal, both directions. So time is not only going one direction, it's going the opposite direction as well. It's, it's going backwards. And so when we can start to realize that we can play in that understanding, we're only looking at it through one limited prism of time, looking at it from a linear perspective. But have you ever thought, if we look at the astrology of, the, you know, of our motion through our galaxy... We have this precession of equinox, which is a 24,000-year cycle that the Earth basically has its wobble based on, right? And we have four different pole stars that will shift for each one of those, you know, 
6,000, you know, uh, it's basically every 6,000 years, four times, 24, right, you end up with a different pole that becomes your North Pole. So right now it's Polaris. Before it was, um, it was Thuban. 6,000 years before it was Thuban, it was Vega. And 6,000 years before it was Vega, it was Deneb, which is in Cygnus constellation. So you've got this cycle that we're going on for 24,000 years. And in this cycle, it precesses. And precession means to go backwards. So it's literally backwards. So we're now in the age of Aquarius, right, most would say. And we were previously in the age of Pisces. But wait a minute. If you think about Pisces, Pisces is like the month of March, for the most part. And you've got Aquarius, which is kind of the month of February. That's backwards. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why it's called precession. We process through the annual cycle. So it goes from, you know, uh, from Aquarius to Pisces, not Pisces to Aquarius. So Aquarius to Pisces is February to March. Then March to April is going to be from Pisces to Aries, then Aries to Taurus, then Taurus to Gemini, then Gemini to to Cancer and Cancer to Leo and so on, right? Through the rest of the Zodiac cycle. Well, at the same moment that we're going forward in time, we're also going backward in procession by the stars. Mm-hmm. So it's just a long cycle. We have a 24,000-year cycle. And that 24,000-year cycle is like, it's akin to how we have 24 hours in one day. Mm-hmm. We're, if you look at the number of hours on the Egyptian calendar, it's 8,640 hours in one year for our time. And then you have um, in the number of days of the precession of time of 24,000 years, it's 8.64 million days. So it's like a fractal. Yeah. Same number, 864, 864. We throw a one in front of that, and it's the speed of light. What a coincidence that we have, you know, a time measurement system that gives us 86,400 seconds in one day, which is just 24 times 60 times 60. If I could make a perfect time system, would I not have it be tied somehow to the sun And is it just a pure coincidence that the sun has a diameter of the number of seconds in one day times 10? Yeah, yeah. 864,000 miles? I don't think so. So we have this relationship with the world around us that we don't yet really understand because we think that we're separate from everything else. But what if the universe is actually more appropriately called a U-inverse, right? And you are experiencing yourself through time going in both directions. And if you're going to create a game, you know, I just got this new uh, Vision Pro headset from Apple, which is, holy moly, it's such a leap in technology. I've had HoloLens and I've had all the other, you know, uh, Oculus Rift, et cetera. Nothing compares to this thing. It's very, very realistic. Almost so to the point that I would say within five to 10 years, there will be technologies that exist. They may not be in the hands of consumers fully yet, but within five to 10 years, we will not be able to distinguish reality from this virtual world. Mm-hmm. That's how realistic it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a dinosaur come up to me in my face, and I was like, I'm looking at the dinosaur, and I'm thinking, oh, the only thing that's missing is the bad breath and, <laughs> you know, and, the, and the perspiration yeah. that might be on the side yeah. of it or something. Who knows? Yeah. But it was so realistic, truly mind-boggling. And it's difficult to say once you've used it that... If we were in a situation where we had that kind of technology, who's to say we aren't already in such a simulation right now? Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. It's so perfect. Yeah. So that's kind of the the thing I would say is this whole thing is about finding the journey of the self in a simulation of our own creation. There's no one else to blame. There's only us. And once we finally realize that there's nobody to blame, including yourself, then you've arrived. So when we talk about the way that nature speaks to us, okay? Because I've always believed that nature, you know, there's something called the doctrine of signatures and you look at, you know, the oranges and wow, mm -hmm. they're really good for the eye, but they're also mm -hmm. good for breast tissue and it sort of looks like the inside of the gland. Mm -hmm. Do, is there a bridge between nature's language and us in mathematics that we're not paying attention to? Maybe mm -hmm. you are, but we're not paying attention to. And how does that implicate our, our health? Well, I would say, first of all, what we perceive as all this degrees of separation, right? So different colors, uh, one color versus another color, the distance between you and I, um, the you know, tree and the bush and the fern and all these different aspects of nature that we see or the mountain far off in the distance, those are all just frequencies. They're all at certain vibrations that our eyes are able to sense and apply color to those vibrations. Mm -hmm. Everything, therefore, has an underlying language of vibration, which is the math. It's the mathematics. And the Greek word for mathematics, you know, was not necessarily in the beginning. It wasn't defined as a study of quantity or science of quantity until Aristotle's time. Before that, Plato would refer to mathematics as just simply the word for learning. So all learning. And so you could say, out of the void comes the first learnings. And when we start having the first learnings, it will come to us all through frequency. Now we have different frequencies that we use different senses to be able to sense and perceive. So you could say that in the beginning, you know, there are certain frequencies at the very low hertz frequency levels that we can't really hear. But if I played a certain low level frequency, I could probably cause you to feel it. You wouldn't know why you're agitated by it, mm -hmm. but you might feel some agitation relation to it. That's why they use it in filmography all the time to create fear and, and people like can incite their, their scared responses, you know, yeah. of doing things in horror films, et cetera. You know, you could do this weird, eerie kind of sound in the background that'll like set everybody off. It might not even be consciously audible, but you feel it. So as we go up the electromagnetic spectrum, the first place that we can actually perceive generally sound is at 27 hertz. So then we could take that 27 hertz and we double it and, you know, you're at 54 and then double it again. And this each time you double it is another octave, the same thing. So 27 hertz is the note A, we double it to 54, and then we double it again to 108, we double it again to 216, we double it again to 432, we double it again to 864, then 864 doubles again to, um, to 1728 and 3456, and it just keeps going all the way up. You do that for 88 octaves, like 88 keys on a piano keyboard. Just keep doubling it. Then you're basically mimicking the entire electromagnetic spectrum. And you start to go above the ability for us to hear, which is at 20,000 hertz. So 20,000 hertz, so I, I stopped at 1728, 3456. Mm -hmm. We're doubling now. You're going to be you know, somewhere in the order of 7800, and then you double it again, and you're at um, 
you know, call it 15,000, something like that. Then you double it again, and you're outside of our realm of being able to hear because now you're at 30,000 hertz, okay? So you could call that kilohertz as well, right? So it would be 30 kilohertz. Then you could go beyond that, and you start to breach into the realms of, you know, radio frequency, microwave, ultrasound, right, infrasonic. So all these are still in the sound spectrum, and... We can no longer hear it. Dogs can hear much beyond we can. We stop hearing it at, say, 20,000 hertz on average. But dogs can continue to hear much, much beyond that. So they have a little dog whistle that someone can blow. Yeah. The dogs are, like, going crazy, but you can't hear it and I can't hear it. It doesn't mean it's not there. Right? It's just outside of our zone of perception. So then we start getting into, you know, different kind of waves, and the way we perceive those waves would be through smell, Right, so smell starts to pick up uh, in around the microwave spectrum. I think is what it is, and then you have different waves that you can also touch and feel. And so our five senses are really just different senses for sensing these different electromagnetic frequencies. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as we go all the way up, then we have one octave where we can actually see. There's one octave way out there, so 55 octaves higher that from the beginning that is going to be the, the visible spectrum. And this is where we start to see, you know, red light, orange light. We might start with, you know, infrared, and then infrared goes to, it's kind of coming from backwards the way it works based on wavelengths, but infrared, and then from infrared it's to red, and then red to orange, and war, orange to yellow, yellow to green, mm-hmm. green to, uh, to blue, and then blue to uh, indigo, and indigo to violet, right? And then you go to ultraviolet. So that would be your full spectrum. You know, infrared is invisible, ultraviolet's invisible. So beyond that, you get into cosmic rays, right, and gamma rays, X-rays. And we can't perceive those things either, not with our senses. But we know that it does damage to us, Yeah. right? You take an X-ray too many times, you're going to have overexposure to radiation. So we do have senses that can experience those different uh you know, realms of the electromagnetic spectrum that we don't perceive with our eyes, ears, nose, throat, or taste, right? And so what those different senses are related to is the extrasensory perceptions. And the extrasensory would be the pineal gland, pituitary gland. So that means you've got now clairaudience, clairsentience, mm-hmm. right? touch. Um, all of the senses that we have can be mimicked and then actually spread out across more and more subtle ways of being able to perceive them. The higher dimensional experience is all about tuning into the subtleties, understanding that the precision becomes a, a core aspect. It's not so much about the gross or macro relationship. It's the precision aspect as we fine-tune ourselves to get closer and closer to that. Well, if our entire universe around us is this gigantic electromagnetic spectrum, and we're perceiving with our senses a good portion of it, and we're perceiving with our visual sense a small portion of it, one octave only, then you have to start asking yourself the question, well, I've seen cymatics, and cymatics is I can induce a standing wave in a Petri dish of water or something, or I could do it with salt on a Kaladni plate. And it's almost as if the water and the salt is moving in formation like uh, some sort of a marching band on a football field. 
how could this not also be impacting our biology? Of course it must be, right? I mean, we just don't really think about it that way. But when I can see the changes being that dramatic in biology, um, you know, related to what you could imagine because 70% of our bodies are water. So if 70% are water, then are we not just gigantic receptacles for some sort of cymatic relationship with our parasympathetic resonance? You know, if I take one of my sound bowls and I, you know, rub the corner or the edges of the of the sound bowl, I can play an F note, right? So I'll do this. Mm, that's pretty cool. But then I notice that I hear another sound in the background, and it's usually my piano in the other room. Because when I play an F note, it's tuned very closely to the same Hertz frequency as the piano string of the, of the note F. Mm-hmm. So it will actually, it doesn't require the hammer to hit the string, but it'll start sympathetically resonating with the string. So another thing that happens is, um, you know, I, I've also got certain sound bowls, and in my old office, Murray used to play my sound bowl, and I could hear, because it was tuned to the resonance exactly of the fire alarm system. So the bells in the fire alarm system in the ceiling would start ringing, not loud ringing, but they're just like, you just hear them ringing parasympathetically with the, uh, with the sound bowl ringing. So I think what that's really telling us is that absolutely we are sensitive to frequency and how our bodies react to that frequency is going to be dependent largely on what those frequencies are and is there intention behind those frequencies. So you could then imagine that how about just negative influence from other people being around you that bring you into a lower vibrational state. So, you know, you have these friends who are constantly talking about, you know, death or murder or, you know, very low frequency, low density type experiences, then you'll start to parasympathetically resonate with those types of experiences. You follow what I'm saying? Yes, for sure. So it's not just the food you eat. Right. It's the friends you intake, right? It's the partners you also are with. Now, but they're not there to be blamed because you chose it all. So there's also beauty in the contrast. There's a film that just came out. Um, you know, I'm launching this platform called Orion, and Orion is showing up everywhere. Even on Netflix, there's a cartoon that just came out called Orion and the Dark. And it's about this little boy who's terrified of everything. His name is Orion. And he doesn't know how to overcome the dark. So at night, his parents want to close the door. When he goes to sleep, he's like, leave it open, leave it open more, leave it open more. So then one night, he's going to sleep, and, and he knows that the next day he's supposed to go on a field trip. But he's terrified to go on the field trip because the girl he likes is also going on this field trip, and he's terrified to actually spend time with her, and he's frozen over the whole thing. He's like thinking about everything that could go wrong. So he goes to sleep that night, and it's not so dark, so the night lights are on. But then all the lightning hits, they have a thunderstorm and electricity power goes out. And then he's under the covers, terrified, and this dark monster comes out from the dark and starts talking to him just like a regular guy. And he's like, no, you're this monster. You're the dark. And he's like, you know, I can't stand it how people always think I'm the dark. And so he's trying to run away from me. It's so lame. And so it humanizes the concept of the dark. And the little boy says, you know, the dark is not not anything. There's no darkness. It's just simply the absence of light. And that really stuck out, you know, stood out to me because I was like, 
Is darkness the absence of light? No. Darkness is the opposite condition of light. Darkness is the absorption of light. What we consider light is its reflection. So every one of the experiences that we have can bring with it some form of vibrational frequency of entrainment. And whatever you are feeling more strongly at the time, so people would ask about manifestation all the time, for example, they're like, oh, how do you manifest? And it's like, well, did you have any fear in the back of your mind that what you wanted to manifest would actually not manifest? Well, yes, because I've tried this before, it never worked for me, you know, it failed type of thing. And so it's like, do you have antipathy towards the concept of Santa Claus? Because when you were seven years old, you believed that Santa Claus was real, and then you find out that he wasn't real at all, and so you were chagrined at Santa Claus because, you know, you'd believed in him for all these years. We all get into this mode where we don't even realize how the field is interacting with us. And so in the beginning, we start thinking, oh, I need to get rid of everything. I got to go vegan. <laughs> I got to go high frequency only. I got to like, you know, and then I'm going to judge everybody and everything that's not in alignment with the frequency I want to be in. And then something flips. You know, that's the point where you start to go, okay, you know, it's kind of the early stage of awakening. and You start thinking like this Chinese proverb, which is, okay, the man who blames others has a long way to go on his journey. I don't want to be a long way to go on my journey. So then people start realizing, wait, it's me. I'm the common denominator. Mm -hmm. I'm the problem here. I'm bringing the low frequency. I've got all these traumas. I've got all this stuff that happened to me, and it's somebody else's fault because they they put this in me and I, it made me a dysfunctional person. You know, I, I've Asperger's or I have whatever, right? And you might actually have those things. Who knows? But... I'm on the spectrum or, or, or whatever. In today's world, everybody wants to put a name and a title to exactly what it is that they can point to for whatever condition they're experiencing, right? Mm -hmm. So that shows some sort of willingness or desire to not want to be the thing, right? Whatever the thing is. Mm -hmm. But when you start going through this process, you start realizing that there is nothing but you, None of the world around you is separate from you. That's all illusion. It's a you inverse of your perception. You create it moment by moment with your, with your perspective and perception. And everything that you thought was there to benefit everybody else usually always, strangely, had some tie back to somehow benefiting you. And you would, might even have called that in a heated argument or exchange with a friend the only ethical imperative whatever it is that would benefit you, it turns out. We all suffer from this. And so then you get to this mode where you start thinking, oh, my persona is bad. I need a mask. I need to hide myself, right? I'm going to be a mask hole. I'm going to hide my real truth of who I am from the world around me. And I don't like myself. In fact, I'm going to change my name, right? We've all known people that have gone through this cycle. You know, even Jim Carrey, he's like, I'm no longer Jim Carrey. I'm the man who once played the role of Jim Carrey. Or let's change my name to so-and-so light. I'm not Robert Grant anymore. I'm, I'm R of light, yeah. you know, or I'm going to be the one divine because I'm not going to have any separation. That's all ego. I don't want anything to do with my ego. But then something beautiful happens. That's when we start to realize that we chose it all. All of it existed for a reason. And our unique viewpoint on the world is exactly why we exist. It's serving a purpose. It's 
bringing the consciousness up and allowing the one to learn empathy for each and every one of us because each of us sees the world differently. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like such a beautiful thing to realize this spiritual journey and path because you literally come full circle and that's when you get to the stage of blaming no one. Mm-hmm. But then you could also start, once you get to this, there's a different stage. Once you get to the stage of blaming no one, then that's the stage you get into a new game. That game, the Hindus refer to as Leela. Leela is playing the game consciously. And now you know that you can kind of have fun with it. It's no longer controlling you. It's no longer, you've transcended the duality. You no longer feel like everything is bad. And you've gone beyond that, and you realize that you're a divine character. And this divinity was made possible because you learned how to integrate all the things about yourself you didn't like or didn't even know existed. So that's the whole backdrop of this show, Orion in the Dark, because it's all about integration of the shadow and learning to love yourself and being on your own hero's journey and how every one of us has the opportunity to change the world we live in by simply changing the perception of that world we live in. Everyone thinks we live in an escape room. This place is not an escape room. This place is actually heaven or hell. It's your choice. If you want to be a victim, trust me, you're going straight to hell because you already are in hell because you believe you're a victim for everything, and that's pretty hellish to me. And what happens is you end up with this mentality, which is like the hammer seeking a nail. If you constantly see yourself the victim, then you become the hammer seeking the nail of victimhood. You'll find victimhood. The hammer seeks the nail and therefore finds nails. It's the point of its being. It's the raison d'etre in French, the reason for being. So breaking away from that is actually achieving true freedom because then you realize wait a minute, I'm not anyone's victim. I may be the victim of believing in these limitations and obstacles. I know people that have faced some of the worst challenges you could ever possibly imagine, who have achieved some of the most incredible things in their lifetime. It's insane. You know, Helen Keller was a good example of that. Helen Keller was blind. She had many other ailments too. She was deaf, she was practically a paraplegic. She had all these difficult things against her. But she also said the only thing worse than blindness is to have sight without vision. And I think a lot of us have sight and no vision. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what the purpose is. We don't feel the need to recognize how beautiful this existence actually is. And maybe the only way to transcend beyond this dualistic plane is to fall in love with it just as it is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and fully fall in love with it just as it is. Because a lot of us will always just be like, I love this part of the experience, but not this part. This part of myself, that light that you were talking about, no, 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 not that darkness, not that dark monster that I'm so scared of. So here's the point, though, to your, to your question earlier. And it just kind of hit me right now. Think about it. It's like, I could think that I'm a victim and then the world is encroaching upon me with all of its frequencies. Why am I sitting next to a guy who decided to smoke a cigarette? You know, that's low frequency. I don't want to be that, that asshole. What's he doing? Like, you're killing my vibe, bruv. Right. right. It's like, 
what the hell are you doing? Or someone comes in from a tough day at work, they start yelling at you. Or, you know, you, you find out that your dog died, right? Which is obviously heartbreaking. And then right after that, you find out your best friend betrayed you. All of these things you could perceive as separate than you. They're, they're apart from you. They're not part of you. Or if you really become introspective, you can start asking yourself the question, what's my emotional state been? And am I simply reverberating that emotional state into my outside world? Is that why it's even existing? Because that's the emotional state inside of me. So then it's replicating in my outside experience. So people ask about manifestation all the time. And they say, what's the key to manifestation? And I say, well, the key is not, I don't like vision boards and stuff because I believe it puts separation too often between us and the thing that you want. Instead, you should feel as though you already have it. Feel the gratitude for already having achieved the thing that you wanted to achieve. Feel the gratitude for having the possession of the thing you wanted to possess. And then you will replicate that experience in your outer world. That's how you manifest. Now, you have to be honest with yourself, though, because if there was some fear in the back of your mind that you might not actually manifest it, Whatever emotion is stronger, the hope you have for the manifestation or the fear that you have that you won't manifest it is what wins. So most people, when they say, oh, I tried manifestation and it failed, they didn't really give it a true chance because they had self-doubt. And self-doubt has killed more entrepreneurial plans, has killed more inventions, has killed more innovations, has killed more everything in this world than any industrial military complex, than any you know, PSYOP from the government than any outside influence from the WTF, or I mean WEF. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's our own self-doubt that crushes the very best of plans and thwarts us. Because if you think you can, or you think you can't, you will be right. When it comes to the brand Peori and their pre and probiotics, they're offering science-backed probiotic strains. And this is how it has to be. There needs to be science behind that or we're throwing just a bunch of dirt up against a wall and hoping it sticks. So the probiotic strains BB12 and PCC are the two strains that were researched to show that they not only seed, but they're actually helping have that beneficial effect of probiotics. And it's offering you large doses of prebiotics, inulin, pectin, four grams of dietary fiber. And I love that Peori uses a single stick packaging to ensure the actual number of bacteria in every single stick. So a lot of us get probiotics from the shelf and don't realize that a lot of them are dead. They might not even be doing anything. Now the powder itself is great tasting and can be consumed straight from the stick if you want, if you want to get a little crazy, or you can put it in water. And every batch is tested by the Clean Label Project for more than 200 different contaminants. This is why I love Peori. They're one of the most, not only efficacious, but really high integrity companies out there. And now, if you want to work on your gut health, right now, Peori is offering you the Heal Thyself Listener 20% off that is on top of the already discounted subscription price with my code, almost a third off the price. Get this now. Go to Peori.com. Use my promo code DRG. That is P-U-O-R-I.com slash DRG. Don't miss out. Use the promo code DRG at Peori, P-U-O-R-I.com slash DRG. So then I wonder to myself, how important is it then to be introspective day-to-day about your dominant emotional state? And, and can we use our outside experience of what we're attracting 
to be that mirror for us to be, whoa, I'm in a really angry frequency right now and something needs to be expressed. So, you know, I tend to think of it as most people think our brains are like hard drive storage units. We store data, you know, like some sort of data center or something. Got to access my data center. I've got long-term memory and short-term memory. I've got RAM and ROM. And the analogy of the computer thing seems to apply pretty easily for people's mindsets. But when you actually think about it, quantum physics shows that our thoughts are actually non-local. In fact, the 22 Nobel Prize that was awarded was awarded for quantum entanglement. And the researchers proved that what we call a local universe is not real. So that means that if you're not observing something, it doesn't hold a position and therefore does not exist. So if everyone's not looking at the moon all at the same time, does the moon actually exist? Right Now in simulation theory, whatever's behind you doesn't exist until it's rendered. Right As you get closer, it starts getting ready for that rendering to show up behind you so that when you turn your head all the way around, you'll see what's there and it collapses the wave function. Until that moment, it's a wave of potentiality because you could turn your head this way, you could turn your head that way, but maybe even that is predicted, just like in the film The Matrix when Neo is talking with the Oracle by the park bench in Matrix Reloaded. And she says, oh, please take a seat. And he says, no, 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 I prefer to stand. And she says, suit yourself. And then like 30 seconds later, he just randomly starts sitting down on the bench and she looks at him and like, hmm. And, and he's like, wait a minute, you knew that I was going to choose to sit down. So everything that we think is linear time for certain dimension, higher dimensional beings is, is now for them. Mm-hmm. They can see it in these different time dimensions. Mm-hmm. So, so we perceive our experience as through our, our brains, long-term memory, short-term memory, like, like you said, like just like a hard drive. Yeah, but actually, it's a radio. It's a radio receiver. Yeah, so our brains are, our thoughts aren't local to us. Our thoughts are frequencies that come into our field, and our brain is a radio receiver that needs to be tuned perfectly. And the way it's tuned perfectly is by gaining a balance between the left and right hemispheres of the brain. And anchoring that with the heart. So if you're only left brain, you only hear the things that are conditioning bias confirmations for left brain matters. If you look at the world from the perspective of an artist, then you only hear the artist's perspective. The balance that comes in and becomes super divine is when you realize that your brain is this radio receiver and your heart becomes the dial, the frequency dial. So whatever your emotional state is, is going to determine whether you're going to get a high-frequency throughput or a low-frequency throughput. Mm. It's up to you. And then everything that goes along with that. So if you've got a low-frequency throughput that's coming through, then don't be surprised when you start attracting everyone and everything that's sympathetic to that resonance, that matches the resonance of the low-frequency. Mm. Or if you take in the high-frequency, the one that doesn't have the fear, the one that is basically more abundant and open and expansive, then don't be surprised when the people that start to come into that field are also resonating at that frequency. Yeah. Yeah. It's never by mistake. It's never by mistake. 
So then again, our emotional state is so important. We have to be connecting every single day with where we are. Otherwise, we're just cyclically re-experiencing the same thing without even knowing we're on autopilot. Yeah, I mean, it's like Carl Jung says, right? Which is our subconscious mind will basically screw up our lives. And we won't even realize what it is. We'll just basically go on with life, experience it, and call it fate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But actually, the whole point of learning to become individuated means that you end up start to starting to realize that it's not by bringing more light to your life, to your light aspects of your life, that you can actually really grow and expand in consciousness. It's by bringing light to the dark aspects that you didn't understand. Bring the knowledge and awareness to those dark aspects, and that can really change the world around you yeah. very substantively. So deeply connecting with our heart, knowing our emotional state, accepting those parts of us which are darkness, the eye yeah. in which we hide, and the light, and understanding that the balance between both sides of the brain. So does that mean taking in information for both sides, seeing perspectives from both sides? How, how do we balance it, our it, brain? Hemisphere? It means being able to look at a problem in multivariate perspectives, mm-hmm. right? So in this, I think of it as having a different angel or an angle of viewpoint, right? And Saul Alinsky said, our world is not a world of angels, rather it is a world of angles, a world where men speak of moral principles yet act on power principles, a world where we are always moral and our enemies, whomever they are, are always immoral. And we're seeing this play out in the world right now, right, with Benjamin Netanyahu. I'm not afraid of people that know that they have dark aspects. I'm afraid of people, probably, that believe they have none because those are the ones that become the Hitlers of the world. And they have no empathy because I've never met or even heard of a villain who called themselves anything other than the hero. Villains don't know they're villains. They call themselves heroes. That's kind of the point. So what you want is you want a balanced representation of humanity. Every one of us, there's no one of us that's any better than anybody else. Everyone has, no one has more light and less darkness than anyone else. Everyone has an equal amount of light and equal amount of darkness. What determines how dark people act or how light they act and what they do is more a function of how much they recognize that darkness exists and how much they either accept or reject it altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Because the more we allow that part of us in, the more that it's that it opens those floodgates and allows it for it to come in. It, it's like when I work with emotions. It's like when a person witnesses and and allows himself to go oh, I am an angry person. That anger moves through them and they have a healthier relationship with the anger because they're not resisting the part of them that the personality believes, I'm not an angry person, I'm sweet, I'm nice, people love me, I'm always happy. But, but, but when they merge, there's, there's that more authentic expression and representation of the person, as you were saying. Seemingly, I, I would see now when you're talking about the connection, more open heart, more deeper connection to the heart, and better balance in, in the way they see the world. Whenever someone says to me, it's like, oh, I just keep encountering asshole after asshole after asshole. Yeah. And I just want to say to them, okay, do you perceive that? How are you acting towards them? Or what's your mood like when you keep attracting all these assholes? And he's like, oh, I've been in a bad cranky mood lately because so-and-so did this to me. So-and-so did that to me. 
my life has just been a mess because of them and I've been taken advantage of and blah, blah, blah. And then you realize that the way he or she is talking sounds awfully like an asshole. It's true. You know, the people that complain, that, oh, I'm just so tired of arrogant people. You know, if you're truly humble, you don't even perceive arrogance. That's your point of reference. Mm-hmm. You perceive humility in everyone else around you. Mm-hmm. An arrogant person perceives arrogance everywhere around them mm-hmm. and makes it an issue for everybody. It's the old adage, if you smelt it, you dealt it, yeah. right? That's exactly what this world has become. And it's meant to be that way until we finally wake up and we realize that, wait, my inner state determines my outer experience. My inner emotional state is what determines my outer experience. It's not the other way around. Most people think that it's the outer experience of circumstance, what happens to you in that outer world, that determines your feeling state. Mm-hmm. But if you're really truthful with yourself, we all have this feeling state already, and we just don't realize that there is a direct connection between our experience internally and what we experience externally. Yeah, yeah. But there is a direct connection. There always is. It can't not be because we're inevitably tied to that experience. So then do you believe we're here to have the experience of relativity so we can perceive ourselves more holy in who we are? I do. I think we're here to experience the differentiation of the world around us and that to learn how to accept the aspects of ourselves that we have rejected and denied. Because all the things that we reject and deny, as soon as you push it out of you, it shows up outside of you. And we'll see it quick. That's right. And the key is, how triggered are you? Whatever it is that triggers you, every single trigger you experience is actually a message from the universe of something you could learn. So instead of asking yourself the question, why did this happen to me? The better question to ask is, why did I choose this? It's a powerful question. I remember posing that to a roommate a few years ago, and she did not like that because she wanted to be in that victim mode, right? She wanted Victimhood to is really attractive, and you can be an inverted narcissist all day long. Yeah. Inverted narcissism are people that claim to be empaths, and they have basically become covert narcissists. They hide their narcissism through their empathy, but it's still narcissistic. In fact, we've all seen them. It's like, oh, you don't know what it's like to be me. I feel all the pain of the world, Okay. I understand that, but do we all have to fawn over you now? Is that the deal? Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That is a thing. Now, the way that you could tell is someone truly narcissist, and by the way, I see narcissism as the doorway to spirituality and enlightenment because what happens is both the inverted narcissist and the, the overt narcissist, the covert and the overt narcissist, finally hit a wall where they realize what got me here won't get me there. I can't advance. Things aren't working for me this way anymore. Life isn't working for me this way anymore. So then you get confronted with this reality of like, wake up. And that's how you actually awaken from the dream. It's through the portal of narcissism that it happens. And then you finally go, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? What was I doing? You know, I, I got, I've got to be more empathetic I, or from the, for the covert or overt narcissist perspective. 
And the overt narcissist also has to realize that they've been attracting this. And the, the key common denominator of narcissism is a very simple thing to see. It's an inability to apologize for anything. So whether they are an inverted or a, you know, a covert narcissist or an overt narcissist, they both have a very, very difficult time finding the words for apology. And that's how you know that they're going through this stage that they're about to, if they continue on with it, some will never get to become, you know, get to a spiritual awakening. But if they continue on with it, they're very likely to have a spiritual awakening. They're going to hit a wall, but they'll have a spiritual awakening. Never heard that. Never heard that being a portal. It's called the dark night of the soul. It's the dark night of the soul. So we all go through some sort of narcissism as we come out of that. Narcissism is just differentiation. So think about it. It's like, okay, you start off you know, in strategy and business. One of the things I've always tried to focus on, I teach at Northwestern Business School, you want to do a strategy in business, you have to define your sandbox. What's your sandbox? So the first thing you do, first step is to decide what's not the thing you're going to do. So what are you not going to be? What are you not going to do? Okay, well, I'm not going to be a you know, traditional energy power plant. Okay, so I'm not going to be that. So that makes it easier for me to decide I am going to go into health supplements or I am going to do something to change the world or whatever it is, right? So you continue to narrow and narrow and narrow your focus. And the companies that do the best are the ones that learn how to properly narrow their focus. It seems oxymoronic, but actually it's 100% true. The companies that want to grow their markets are the ones who learn how to focus their effort and focus their operations to, to very narrow things. And you know, if you've got way too many things to do, you get nothing done. So don't try to boil the ocean. Organizations, companies can only synthesize three things from a macro stage level at the same time. So you never have more than three goals. I was a CEO of a company with 27,000 employees. Never have more than three goals. You just can't do it. You won't do it. You'll, you'll chew yourself up. The culture will eat you for breakfast. And you won't even realize it. So the point is, how do you focus in to achieve the things that you want to get for the highest, best benefit, highest, best return. Well, it's also true for personalities. As we go up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, in the lowest rungs of Maslow's hierarchy of needs are things like shelter, food, sex, you know, some degree of community. It's very hard to survive out in the wilderness all by yourself, so you need to have some degree of community. And then once you've got past the point of trying to think about and focus on how do I survive, then you have the ability to think beyond the reptilian brain. So the reptilian brain is the amygdala, mm-hmm. right? You get past the amygdala, and as you get higher and higher up Maslow's hierarchy, moving towards self-actualization, then you start to move your thought process to the prefrontal cortex, right? So now you're in the higher order consciousness stage. But even Maslow didn't go all the way. It took Carl Jung to come out and say, no, it needs to go to another stage above self-actualization, which what we would call self-transcendence or maybe individuation. It's this notion that we, each of us, are individuated as separations of the number one. We all get individuated. You don't get rid of your persona. You don't get rid of your personality. You don't get rid of. But in the process, you think that you're this whole thing of color, but you're going to define 
your sandbox as I'm not this color, I'm not that color, I'm not this color, I like this color. I like the color blue. So I'm going to reflect only blue. Now, I'm the only person that's going to believe eventually through my narcissism, because this is a process of narcissism, cutting back and removing things like from the sandbox. Yeah. I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not that. And how do I determine that? Based on my shame and vulnerability. Whatever makes me, as a child, feel shameful or vulnerable, I'm not that. I didn't do that. Yeah. That's not me. Oh, no, 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 my, that other guy did that. He pushed me. No, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. We start to, the moment we feel shame, we turn to blame. So that blame projects everything else out so that we can, by the time we're 45 years old, we have a very, very narrow focus on what we think we're projecting to the outside world of who we are. The funny joke of it all is we're the only ones that can't see all the rest. So we literally become blind to seeing our dark aspects or the colors that may not even been dark. For me, I gave up music when I was 22 years old. I never stopped being a musician. I gave up being an artist when I was that age as well because I thought I need to embody this successful businessman. I want to be an entrepreneur. And this is the type of person that doesn't mess around with music and be a beatnik. Right. So okay. I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to execute all this stuff. And yet, all my friends that still knew me always referred to me as an artist. Mm-hmm. And it used to insult me. I'd be like, I'm not an artist. What are you talking about? That's like not real. It's not solid. It's not this. It's not that. I was the only one that couldn't see that I was still an artist because my art was coming out in all my business creations. It was showing up everywhere so that people would be like, oh, yeah, you're a total artist. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Until finally, you have that midlife crisis because you think that you are this narrow band of wavelength of one or two colors, maybe three colors. And that's what you are. And that makes you so happy. And then all of a sudden life shows you that this is no longer going to work for you. The lack of perception and the extreme judgment that you apply to the rest of the electromagnetic spectrum, everyone else around you makes that world almost unbearable for them. Then you get an awakening. You have a crisis. You have to find yourself and realize, wait, I'm not just these colors. I'm also all these other colors that I've been judging negatively. They now need to get integrated back into me. And thankfully, the darkness is what allows it to even exist because I wouldn't have all these gradations of color if not for the dark context to be able to apply to it. Mm -hmm. So even the darkness has to be integrated back into me. And now I'm no longer trying to hide from myself or anyone else my dark aspects. I can be authentic and say exactly who I am and not feel shame for it. It's not the sin that makes this world a difficult place to live in. It's the shame that we accumulate along our journey that makes it tough. The world's not a difficult place because people hate each other. It becomes a difficult place because people hate themselves. So the process of self-discovery and knowing yourself is a process of falling in love with those aspects that you had formally dismissed, formally unrecognized, and those aspects of you simply want to be acknowledged and recognized. It doesn't mean that you have to engage in those things. It just, need, it just has to be to the point where you recognize that there is a beast within you, that there is a scoundrel within you. And the more you are integrative of that knowledge of that ragscallion scoundrel within you, the more at ease you are with the integration of it. 
You become friends with it and you no longer desire to do those things that cause you to act way out of character. We all know the, the girls in high school were the guys too, that were like the totally goody two-shoes, the most religious, were usually the ones that did the wildest shit. Uh-huh. Right? They're like, I don't know what happened. That's I killed right. again. Uh-huh. You know, it's like they wake up like yeah. like they're a werewolf. It's like, covered in blood. Yeah. What happened? Uh-huh. You know, what did I do? That was their fault. I couldn't have done this on my own. Who, who dragged me? I was roofied. Right. Maybe so. Maybe not. Everyone wants to live a long, happy, healthy life, right? And longevity isn't the be-all, end-all. What's more important is to consider the number of years that you actually feel healthy without chronic debilitating diseases. That's what's called health span. And right now, the average gap between lifespan and health span is 10 years. So people are living long, but for those last 10 years, it's a horrible way of living. They're burdened by disease or a poor quality of life. And here's something easy you can do to increase your health span. You could take some good quality supplements. Signs back, rigorously tested. Momentous, fantastic company out there. If you came to my house and opened my cabinet, you would see creatine and collagen right there, right with my protein powder that I take every single day. These are two supplements that work synergistically to repair and power your body. I work out four, five times a week, heavy weight, and I'm never, never sore. I'm using a lot of weight too, but I'm never sore because I'm attributing to this to making sure that my body's repurposing, healing, reducing inflammation. Now, Momentus has been integral in that process. So why is Momentus one of the most superior brands in the market? Well, let's say, for example, their collagen. The one that they put out there is clinically researched formula. It delivers 15 grams of collagen in support of all the types of collagen that are needed for the body types one, two, and three. Not just some of those collagen products that you'll find out there that only have one type. Now, the creatine, I really love this one. It utilizes creatine monohydrate. That's a gold standard for creatine supplementation. No fillers, no additives, clean. It's gonna help you restore muscle, right? It's gonna help build, synthesize muscle recovery, but some of you don't even realize creatine is essential for brain health too. So when you put both together, you're serving your skin, you're serving your gut lining, you're serving your brain, you're serving your muscles, especially if you're working out, this stuff is gold. So trust is really one of the most important things when it comes to supplements. My trust is in Momentus because it's unparalleled commitment to rigorous third-party testing and independent certification. Ensuring what's on the label is on the product. Ensuring what's on the label is on the product and nothing else. And this is the Momentus standard, which is really the industry's leading standard in quality. So if you're like me, you want to take supplements that are made and used by the best in the world, go to livemomentous.com and use the code DRG for 15% off of creatine, collagen, and all their other best-in-class products. That's livemomentous, L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com and use the code DRG for 15% off. You know, it, it, you and I are saying, we say this, this is about authenticity, the embodiment of all of those aspects. And we're so scared to let that scoundrel beast out of ourselves. There's religion, there's society, there's the way we grew up, you know, what we've been told, the persona we create about ourselves. But the fact of the matter is, for me, the way that I see health, what is the embodiment of health? It's that. It's embodying all aspects of you. So you have your nervous system is more at ease. And I look at it from the physical health standpoint, the mental Mm -hmm. health standpoint. Mm -hmm. But it's all the same thing. It is a full ease and going, that's me. And I'm okay with this, all parts of me. What a beautiful place to be. And, and the world wouldn't be the way it was if that was true. No, and that's why one of the things I love to do is whenever I'm triggered by someone or something, 
and I feel the compelling urge to judge them negatively, heaven forbid, then I stop myself and I'll say it out loud and I'll say, I am that I am. Reminding myself that the thing I'm judging in someone else is actually me. That I carry those same characteristics. It's so difficult for us to see beyond this. That's why I love geometry. Because what geometry does is it opens and expands your perspectives. It allows you to see different viewpoints and integrate those different viewpoints, most importantly, on how you perceive yourself. That you can actually see the monster within and not be terrified of the monster, see the monster within and integrate and become friendly with the monster so that the monster becomes tamed. It doesn't need to come out and kill again. It doesn't need to be this werewolf or Jekyll and Hyde moment where it's literally like multi-personality took over. multiple personality disorder just took over your life type thing. That's what happens. The extreme form of this, people that don't become individuated, you know, they start running the risk over time of becoming mentally very unstable because they literally think I'm only this and they can't see anything else. And the atrocities that can be perpetrated on humanity by such a person can be mind boggling. Hitler's a good example. He thought himself a hero. He wanted to get rid of all the Jews because then the world would be a better place, right? It sounds crazy. It is crazy. But to him, it wasn't crazy. And then to a whole populace, it didn't sound so crazy because everyone was basically, you're either a sheep or you're a shepherd. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, 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 as, we, as we go towards the last part of this, I, I think about this movie called The Babadook. You ever hear this movie? It's a, it's a horror movie. And it's where this lady's, uh, she got into an accident, her husband died, and she's living with her kid, and she gets this, this black monster. It's, it's all black. It's dark. It comes at night, and it, it just makes this noise like Babadook, Babadook, right? And it's, it's terrifying because it's, it's literally uh, overtaking their lives. And, and spoiler alert, but at the end... The essentially she sees the Babadook for what it is, a part of a darker aspect, and it lives downstairs and she feeds it. It's still alive. The beast is there. It's tamed, but it's part of the house now. It's part of the house she mm-hmm. lives in. And and the family comes closer. She's happier. She's healthier. The boy, the, her son, happier and healthier. And it, and it, it's 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 so simple, but but again, so scary for us to see those parts of us and and and. You know, it can it can ruin the state of the world, and it, it is ruining, as you as you said. The, the one thing that that I wanted to talk about is the throat, the mm-hmm. throat chakra, mm-hmm. and, and so many of us don't know how to express those emotions because we're so scared to speak them. Mm-hmm. We're so scared to mm-hmm. express the sound of them, and it gets shut down when they say you can't sing or hey you're a big boy you can't make you can't cry anymore. Little girls don't scream it like that. You can't mm-hmm. be angry. Yeah. What What is the significance of the throat chakra in, in all of this healing? So the throat chakra is a critical aspect of going into higher dimension. So you could say that each of the chakras represents a different aspect of dimensionality, right? So you've got the first or root chakra giving us kind of the first dimension of perspective. The second chakra, right, the sacral, and the third, the solar plexus, and the fourth, the heart. These all relate to the fourth dimension is time, right? 
And yet, the only thing that transcends time is love. We saw that in Interstellar. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Gravity is time somehow, and gravity is metaphysical, you know, in its nature, and love is metaphysical gravity. It's the thing that binds the entire universe together, keeps it all in place somehow. It's this dark aspect that we don't understand about space because we don't understand it about ourselves yet. We see it as something to fear. You know, we can look at we can look at romantic love from one perspective and see it as romantic love, and then we can also look at it as, I don't even want to venture into that because I can get my heart broken. We all experience this. So, But that's why time, going one direction, and finite and scarce, becomes the encryption for the next dimension, which is the throat, the fifth dimension. The throat is the fifth chakra, right? It's the color blue. It's when we learn to transcend this world of duality and scarcity. There are three layers within it. The three layers within it are self-awareness, self-actualization, and then self-transcendence. We achieve what we would refer to as individuation or enlightenment through the throat chakra. The throat chakra, once we finally transcend duality, and the ultimate duality is time itself, because we have past and future, but yet we're only ever living in now. I've never lived in future. I've never lived in past. I only live in now, right? It's like from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, where it says, time changes not, yet all things change in time, right? You think about this concept of what time is. So transcendence of duality, transcendence of time is a core and critical aspect of the fifth chakra, fifth dimensional experience, Mm. which is what earth is now going into for some people. Mm. Not everybody, but for those that finally decide that they can transcend beyond this notion of choosing duality, good versus evil, light versus dark, right, black versus white. Once we finally decide that our experience is more about learning how to love and be loved than it is about being right, because we finally learned that everything I thought I was collecting as a fact was merely a facet of a larger truth. It was only one point of perspective. Yeah. It wasn't the whole truth. Yeah. You have 30 people that are eyewitnesses to the same crime, and you get 30 different eyewitness reports. Right. How is it? You know, People were talking about this, this Vision Pro from Apple, and someone said to me yesterday, oh, you know what, and the next thing that's coming out in this game, you're not going to believe it. It's so freaking wild, man. I said, what is it? And he's like, he's from Brazil. He says, they'll be able to have it so that three or four people are in the game with you. They're seeing the exact same thing, but perceiving something entirely different. And I'm like laughing because I'm thinking, uh, that's what we're living in. Life. <laughs> right. Here we are creating a game within a game, within a game, within a game. Who knows where it ends, right? So this idea that we've all been in situations in relationships where at some point, if you want the relationship to last, you might come to loggerheads over some battle, some fight, and it's going to be, my way or the highway, right, with your partner. If you've learned to transcend it at some point, someone's going to buckle and say, you know what, this is not important to me who's right. What's more important to me is that I love you. Our relationship supersedes who's right or wrong Mm -hmm. in this. So let's find a solution to this because this relationship is very important to me and I love you and I don't really care about being right on this. 
once you learn that, that's a transcended, you know, you start to find a compromise situation. And what separates us from the animal kingdom is not just our opposable thumbs. Um, it's our ability to reason. It's our ability to, to have full compromises, you know, and, and be aware of that, not just as a natural consequence of being in the survival mode in the wild kingdom. Although I have seen some animals that seem to have a lot of reasoning ability and yeah. seem to have a lot of compassion within them. What I would say, though, is that enlightenment, and when you finally get to the top of the throat chakra, is only embodied when your expression of love supersedes and exceeds your desire for one objective truth. That you realize that the value of a fact is only one degree of a full 360 degrees of perspective on the same truth. And that actually the better way to learn it all is to realize that by collecting different perspectives, by empathizing with others' viewpoints, and seeing it in new ways and new lights, I can become more expanded. And the only thing that's important about having a 360-degree separation of viewpoint is the love that underlies all of it and connects it all as to why we're doing it. This is the last stage, right? We have to transcend beyond the heart chakra, which still has an egoic aspect to it, right? My separation and everything. And going into the throat chakra, the throat chakra says, okay, it's time now. You've been living this suffering. You've been in the three and fourth dimensions. Now it's time for you to transcend beyond this. And that transcendence is going to happen because you're going to choose love over being right. Beautiful. And, and that's what the next dimension is about. So the, for the people that choose love over being right, they will transcend the self. They will transcend themselves. They'll transcend time. They'll experience time differently. They'll start to experience more subtlety within the electromagnetic spectrum. It's no longer, now that you can recognize the existence of all the color, you can even parse out some of the in-between colors. It's like when we were in junior high or in, in elementary school and they gave us a box of crayons and the first one I had had eight colors in it. The next one I had had 16. The next one I had had 32. Then one day... I saw some kid at school with a 256 crayon coloring, you know, set. I was like, oh, I got to get that. Well, now we do the same thing. It's just we've expanded it further. The 16.8 million colors on our display. And now with this new Vision Pro, it's an 8K display. I don't even know how many millions of colors it has. Right? At a certain stage, you just say, oh, I don't care what all that detail is. I just know that it looks totally hyper-realistic. Yep. Point being... The higher dimensions are all about noticing and recognizing and becoming aware of the subtleties, those subtle aspects that you never even noticed before, the iridescent colors that basically can accompany your experience. And it might take you using psilocybin to notice those things. But once you notice it, you know, the first time I did psilocybin, I saw like flower of life over everything, and I was thinking whoa, what a crazy hallucination for a moment. And I thought, wait, this is not a hallucination. These mushrooms have just revealed the illusion I was already living in. Yeah. It's pulling the curtain up. Mm -hmm. And so now when I look at the wall, I can still see flower of life symbols on it, even though I'm not taking any mushrooms right now. And 
that is a new way for me to perceive my reality, that it was there all along. I just never noticed it before. Just like the images on the King's Chamber's walls. It wasn't meant to be in our awareness yet, but now it's meant to be in our awareness. These petroglyphs were there all along. So it's a... It's an entirely new world when we allow ourselves to be open to the different sounds that also come in. There's notes that are between notes. You know, it's not just a 12-note scale anymore, chromatic scale. It's a 24-note chromatic scale. It's not just a seven-chakra body system. It's a 12-chakra body system, just like the notes on a piano keyboard. And then, and that even breaks down into Ida and Pingala. So you've got two for each one. So that means we have 24 chakras then. Oh, even our DNA is based on stacking dodecahedra. They just stack on top of each other. And if I spin them, just the protrusions of the stellations of the dodecahedra would define a double helix. Mm -hmm. But isn't it true, though, that the dual solid of a dodecahedron is the icosahedron, the water cluster? Yeah. And the way that I do that is I just take the center point of each side of a dodecahedron, it's 12 sides, I connect those 12 sides, and that will give me 20 sides of equilateral triangles that make an icosahedron. So that means that since it's just simply the dual solid from the center points of each of those sides can be constructed, it's already inherent to the dodecahedron, which means that when we consider that there is no such thing as a dodecahedron without a nested icosahedron that's there in the etheric plane, just outside of our perception, we spin that, and that all of a sudden gives us 24-strand DNA from the protrusions that come off of it, the same stellations. Wow. So all of this was already there. It's not like we, we get new DNA. Yeah. It's we just realized the DNA that we already had. And what's happened is it was disabled in our minds like a software program, that you had a capability but it was disabled from your use because you didn't know that you could use it. And now you are aware of it, so therefore you can use it. Mm -hmm. By the same token, we now have extrasensory senses. We're not only dealing with five senses anymore and one maybe sense that might be related to extrasensory perception. We're going to six squared senses. So that's what we're now going to. So now each of us has the ability to feel tactility differently. We just didn't, we weren't aware of it before. And it's all subtle. Our eyes become more sensitive to light because we're now moving into a higher dimension. The higher light sensitivity is because we now can also perceive a higher number of colors than we could before. By the same token, same thing with sound. Our ears might become more sensitive. And then all the extrasensory perceptions that you already had become likewise more sensitive. It becomes more about moving into this realm of the subtle, and that's what the fifth dimension is about. But the fifth dimension has one doorway through the passage toward it, and that says, let no man who knows not love over judgment enter here, or no woman. Because that is the ticket to get into that world that you overcome and move past the desire urge to anchor to one objective truth. And instead, 
Learn how to love and be loved. That is the purpose that we experience this duality. And I'll just say this, you know, mathematically, there's something that relates to this and it's very beautiful. Have you ever heard of something called the Philosopher's Stone? Okay, do you ever watch Harry Potter? Yeah. Okay, so one of the Harry Potter installments was called Philosopher's Stone. It had the name Philosopher's Mm -hmm. Stone associated with it. Philosopher's Stone was this mythical achievement of balance between masculine and feminine archetypes. So the masculine being the left brain, if you're right-handed, and the feminine being the right brain. And there's this notion that when the heart thinks and the mind feels, the river of wisdom flows. When the heart thinks, something you don't normally associate with the heart doing, and the mind feels, then the river of wisdom flows. So it's finding this balance that's of perfection of being able to integrate feminine energy and masculine energy into the same one whole. And then finding a Christ consciousness within that. So it's like alpha and omega becomes realized. It starts off with you only know alpha if you're the man, and never the twain shall meet. And then you realize that there's also omega, so there's a feminine aspect within you as well. So it might be blurry at first, but then you start to realize it's there. And then there's something in between that allows this connection between the left and right brains, and it forms the shape of an X. Our right eye connects to our left brain, to the occipital lobe, through something called the optic nerve. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens from the right eye to the left brain. So this is where we get this whole term, the left eye of Horus connects to the side of the brain that is the feminine intuitive side. So you pluck out the left eye of Horus, which horology comes from the word Horus. So you could say the left eye of time, the true awareness of time, okay, that it goes both directions and that everything is predetermined and preset, chosen by you. So the answer is, wait, is it free will or is it destiny? The answer is both because you chose it all and it's your destiny. So then the other right eye is the right eye of Ra. The right eye of Ra connects to the left brain of rational thought. It's the part of your brain that says, no, don't do that. The right brain is the creative. It's the dark. It's the imaginative aspect of your brain. So the thing that connects those two, when those two connect, is the X in between them. This is called the optic chi. So chi is the Greek word for X, also pronounced he. Right? So the optic chiasm merges right at the pituitary gland which is part of the crown chakra. When you have this, then you have the left brain, which is the seat of rational thought, the logos. The right brain connected through the heart, which is the pathos. And then you have this X. So you've got alpha, chi, omega. Now what's interesting is that if we look at the Greek letters and the mathematical constants that we use today in physics... The values for these numbers or math constants would be alpha, which is 0.0073, is the fine structure constant, and denoted as alpha. Okay? You have the omega, which is 0.571. Okay? 0.571. So then you could take those two numbers 
And notice that there's something very unique about those two numbers. Now, it just so happens that mathematicians and physicists chose these values not by choosing them related to consciousness, per se. It just comes out this way. There are only three pairs of numbers that exist that have double mirrored properties. So what do I mean by double mirror? So a double mirror means that a number has a palindrome. So let's say your number is 73. Its palindrome could be, you know, 37, right? Or possibly 137 if it was 73.1, right? So then 137 would be the palindrome. It's just the backwards representation of the same number. So the palindrome of 57.1 is 175, right? Pretty easy. Now, what makes this a double mirror is that 1 over 57.1 equals 0.00175. So it's a double mirror, whereby its palindrome is equal to its reciprocal value. There's only three numbers that do this, three pairs of numbers that do this. The three pairs of numbers that do this are 73 and 137, and they're, they're close approximations. 42 and 24, so 1 over 24 equals, it rounds to 0.42, right? Then you've got the last number is 175 and 571. So let's take away the decimals for a second. So if we took the alpha number and started looking at alpha chi omega as maybe it's an equation, see what it comes out to. So we could take 0.73 which is alpha, multiply it by 2.4, which is the chi, 24th letter of the alphabet, alphabet as well in English, and then multiply that by the omega number, 0.571. And guess what the answer is? 1.00. Alpha chi omega is a math and physics expression that equals one. Seems awfully improbable to me that it would come out so perfectly that the name of God is one. Interesting. When we start to think about this, we start to think about the implications of this, that we are all just divisions of this number one. That consciousness creates it all, so that we can find it, so that we can find ourselves and realize why we're here, which is really just to learn how to love and learn how to be loved. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just learn how to love and be loved in return. I think that's such a profound aspect. And when we start to think about how the world can change, when we start to embody that type of thinking and perspective, then the entire world can shift around us. Mm-hmm. Your experience can shift, dramatically shift. And we're on the precipice now, I think, in humanity of experiencing this kind of shift because so many people are now coming to this realization. You can feel it too. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, man, I have to, I'm going to have to listen to this three times to, to, to digest even after sitting here in live time, because uh, just the perspectives and, and the understandings, there, there's the there's the it's funny the left brain and the right brain this conversation was right we had the logic and we had the art all coming up but really showing us the end point like you said 
Love and be love, knowing how to do that. Taking accountability, stop blaming others, shifting our perspective. Instead of always wanting to be right, being in love, right? Choosing love before going, oh, maybe I love this, how you said it's just only one degree of a full 360 degrees, mm-hmm. but we see it as the degree um, and transcending that. So many beautiful gems and take homes, man. And um, I got to tell you, I'm such a fan of this podcast. I'm such a fan of your work. You, you're Thank bringing you. light to so many people and I, and I love the way you're doing it. it. It really is just like, it's brilliant. You know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll leave you with one last thought because it, it kind of hit me in the last few days where I had a friend reach out to me and say, you know, my relationship isn't working out and I'm having a tough time and, and they're not treating me well. It's not just, and this is happening a lot. Like I know a lot of women right now who are literally deciding to become lesbian because they feel like they have no chance to find a relationship with a man. So, I mean, nothing wrong with being lesbian. I, I think that's great. But, you know, is it out of your choice or is it out of you feeling compelled because you can't find a relationship that makes sense and you keep feeling like you're disappointed by the masculine or vice versa, that men feel disappointed because they can't, you know, it seems like there's this, still this ever widening gap of perspective. And one thing I would say is this, you know, when, when she said this to me, the words of John F. Kennedy came to mind, which is, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And it made me think, every time I've been in a bad relationship situation, did I actually think about it from that standpoint, which is, Ask not what she can do for you, but rather what you can do for her. And I think this applies both to men and women alike. I think we all get so focused on how someone else is letting us down some way, somehow. And our first reaction is to pull back and separate ourselves further from them. Because we're afraid of getting hurt, we don't want to be vulnerable, we don't want to find ourselves in a loveless life or, you know, situation, whatever it is. But we forget that even the feeling that we have of that might just be on the selfish side. So my challenge to everybody today would be to try to find someone that you think is worth putting that effort into. And instead of thinking, what am I going to get in return for it? Or what are they doing for me? What can I do for them? And I think your life could change dramatically and your relationship will broaden and deepen and you'll find that it was worth it shift in perspective like you just said that's everything just that one question can shift everything man oof. I, I i gotta digest this but thank you so much robert thank you for your work where where do people find you uh you could find me on you know instagram uh facebook on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel all under the same brand, Robert Edward Grant. Uh, Also, I have a website, robertedwardgrant.com. And you can also find uh, out about our new social media platform, which is called orionmessenger.io. Also, check out my book, Philomath and Polymath on amazon.com. Perfect. 